you have your Bibles tonight, I'm in 1 Chronicles chapter number 21. 1 Chronicles chapter number 21. I want to preach a message about an episode that occurs in Scripture that is somewhat of a unique circumstance that comes up. King David is, is kind of front and center in this story. And as this story unfolds, it's kind of a unique and interesting story. In 1 Chronicles chapter number 21. But then we get introduced to another character kind of at the end of the story. And the message is really about this other character more than it is about David. A lot of people have never heard of this guy named Ornan. He was a Jebusite. And we're going to talk about him and kind of the impact. And as a matter of fact, he was so impactful that still the impact of what this guy did is still felt today. And when we think about the Escalon, that is the time that comes ahead of us when we look at uh, what's going to happen in the future, he is still going to be impactful. And it's weird, I think, in some regards to think of how could somebody who was so impactful, who made such an impactful decision, how come most people have never heard of this guy? I'm going to spend a lot of time tonight just doing the introduction so you can kind of build and understand where the story's at. And then the message is going to be really, really short about what Ornan, this Jebusite, did. If you have your place here in 1 Chronicles chapter number 21 and verse number 1, say amen. amen. If you need more time, just say wait on me. Verse number 1, the Bible said, And Satan stood up against Israel and provoked David to number Israel. And David said to Joab and to the rulers of the people, Go number Israel from Beersheba, even to Dan, and bring the number of them to me, that I may know it. And Joab answered, The Lord make his people a hundred times so many more as they be. But, my Lord the king, are they not all the Lord's servants? Why then doth my Lord require this thing? Why will he be a cause of trespass to Israel? He pointed out to David, he said, David, you're fixing to step on, fixing to, that's, I'm from Georgia as well, you're fixing to step on a landmine. Don't do this. And you're not just going to hurt yourself, David. What you're going to do is you're going to wind up hurting the whole nation of Israel. And so he gets this warning shot across the bow. Look at verse number four. Nevertheless, the king's word prevailed against Joab. Wherefore, Joab departed and went throughout all Israel and came to Jerusalem. And Joab gave the number of the people unto David, and all they of Israel were a thousand thousand and a hundred thousand. So a thousand thousand is a million, and a hundred thousand more is one more hundred thousand. So it was 1.1 million that drew the sword. And Judah, that part of what would be the southern kingdom, was 400 and three score, which is 60. So 400, three score, and 10,000 men. So 470,000 men that drew the sword. Verse number six, it tells that he didn't number the folks at, at Levi and Benjamin. And in verse number seven, I'm going to read this and then I want to pray and get right into the message. And God was displeased with this thing, therefore he smote Israel. David said, go out and number the people. Joab comes back and says, don't do it. Whatever you do, don't do it because this is going to be a trespass in Israel. God's not going to like this. David says, go ahead and do as I say. He does it. He gets the tally of the people back. 
and God moves against Israel. Father, we love you and we thank you for this evening that you've allowed us to be in church. Thank you for this wonderful, wonderful crowd that's here tonight. Thank you for your people, many friends that we've already made here at this church. Thank you for the graciousness of your people to let folks like us just join and to, and to be in service with them and be in Sunday school with them and to fellowship. Lord, we pray as we approach your text tonight, I pray that you would help me to make things clear and understandable from your scripture. And I pray, Lord, that ultimately that you would get the glory in everything that's said and done. We pray you things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, when you think about this story and you think about what David did, on the surface, you would think, well, what's really a big deal about a person, a king, a person in this position, numbering his soldiers and his army? You would think that he would want to take a census of the people and understand how many soldiers he had, whether they were split between the two kingdoms or not, really doesn't matter as far as the story goes. But you would think, why in the world would that be a bad thing? Well, the scripture doesn't tell us exactly why that was a bad thing. It doesn't come out and say that it was bad because of this. And a lot of times in narrative passages of Scripture, narrative passages of Scripture is just a story that's given to us. But a lot of times in narrative passages of Scripture, when we come upon them, it'll tell us what happened and doesn't necessarily tell us all the time the rightness or the wrongness of it or why it was right or wrong. But we understand that when Joab heard it, Joab said, oh no, don't do this. And then we see that he did it, and God said, oh no, you didn't, and he was upset with what was going on with Israel. So it's clear from the text that it was problematic what David did. Now I'm going to tell you what I can surmise, what I think was probably the issue here, and the issue here was probably one of the sin of pride. That is, that David was set up in his kingdom, God gave him victory over everything. And so as David sat back, he was thinking, what I'm going to do is number my army because my army is what gave me the victory. If we're not careful, we'll get to that same place in our Christian life where we think and we dwell upon why it is that we may be found faithful or successful, use whatever word you want to use, in the service of God, and we leave out the whole thing of God moving and working in our lives most of the time in spite of us, in spite of our abilities, in spite of our intellect, in spite of our efforts, and in spite of everything else, God still moves in mercy. It kind of reminds me of what he told Zechariah in Zechariah chapter number 4 and verse number 6. He said, it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. And so it was likely a problematic thing with David doing this because there was pride in David's heart because of the victory that God gave to him. We have to be very, very careful about that. Think about the temptation of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's down in the River Jordan. He approaches the River Jordan. The, the, John the Baptist is down in the River Jordan and he's baptizing and he looks up and he says, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. The Lord Jesus Christ goes down. He suffers, John suffers him to be baptized. So the Lord Jesus Christ is baptized by John the Baptist. The Lord comes out of the water. He's standing on the banks of the river somewhere. A voice from heaven uh, sounds out in a dove, in, in the form of a dove. The Holy Ghost comes down and lights upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And a voice from heaven says, 
this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. That comes to the end of chapter number three. Chapter number four, it goes right out that Jesus was driven into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil 40 days and 40 nights. What are you saying? I'm saying that sometimes you get tempted and sometimes bad things come up in your life when you're down in the valley. But more frequently what happens and what we have to watch out for and what we need to watch out corporately for in our church is when we're on the mountain, when we have victory, when we have the moving of God, when things are going on and it looks like that the only way we can go up is, uh, the only way we can go from here is up, we got to be careful that we always give the glory to God and not steal any of the glory because God will not share his glory with anybody. He doesn't share his glory. And so David's here, he numbers his people. Now I'm still in my introduction, but when we think about this, God then allows David to pick his punishment. Now imagine what happens. So David's done this sin. God comes against him. And then all of a sudden, the Lord is upset and he's angry. Look at verse number 9 and we'll pick up the story. And the Lord spake unto God, David's here, saying, Go tell David, saying, Thus saith the Lord, I offer thee three things. Choose thee one of them that I may do it to you. So Gad came to David and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Choose thee. Either three years of famine, or three months to be destroyed before thy foes, while, they, while that the sword of thine enemies overtake thee, or else three days the sword of the Lord, even the pestilence in the land, and the angel of the Lord destroying throughout all the coast of Israel. David, you've got a choice in your punishment. Three years, you can, you, can be, you can starve for three years. David, you can go and be destroyed of your enemies for three months. Or I'll send my angel and pestilence will come into Israel for three days. Which one are you going to choose? Now, can you imagine this happening and how it unfolds? Now, some of y'all who may have been raised like me, I remember when I was a boy, sometimes I'd have to go cut my own hickory. I don't even know if you know what that means or not. But I remember that long, lonely walk to the woods. Mama would say, boy, go cut me a hickory. Now, I'd walk out to the woods. Now, you couldn't bring a hickory back. Now, hickory is a switch. I don't know if y'all even know what that means up here. That's not something on the wall you turn the lights on and off with. It's something that Mama had in her hands that she lit you up with. That's what a switch, what a switch is. And so if the switch broke, buddy, you had to go back and get another one. But I can remember going and choosing my instrument of pain that I was going to be inflicted with. But can you imagine God coming and doing this? Now David, a man after God's own heart, he chooses very wisely. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us how many people would have died if there had been a famine for three years. The Bible doesn't tell us how many people would have died if the, if the enemy had come in for three months. We do know in this story, because it tells us in just a little bit, how many people died when the hand of the Lord came against them. But as he's uh, given this option and he looks at it, he goes, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to fall into the mercies of God. Now, don't lose the forest for the trees and stay with me for just a minute because I'm going to get to the message in just a second. It's not about David. It's about this other dude named Ornan. Look at your Bible, verse number 13. And David said unto Gad, I am in a great strait. That means he didn't know what to do. Let me fall now into the hand of the Lord, for very great are his mercies. But let me not fall into the hand of man. 
And so the Lord sent pestilence upon Israel, and there fell in Israel 70,000. Joab said, David, don't do this. And David did it anyway. Joab said, don't do this. He didn't say, don't do this, David, because you're going to get hurt. He said, don't do this because Israel is going to suffer for your sin. Look up here with me just a second. Not every sin you commit is just a sin against you. You hurt other people. We have to be so careful that we don't hurt other people. And listen, I'm not some holy Joe. I'm not somebody that's got my act together or anything like that. I'm just somebody that sits in the pews just like you do. But what we all have to be careful about is we all have to be careful about the fallout of sin because sin, it'll take you a lot further than you want to go and it'll keep you a lot longer than you want to stay and it'll cost you far more than you ever, ever, ever want to pay. That's what'll happen to us if we're not careful. And David, he falls into the hands of God. And 70,000 are killed in Israel. And the Lord sees that, and he says, it's enough. And he said, what I want you to do now, he said, there's enough punishment now to suit this crime. Listen, none of the 70,000 ever came back to life. Doesn't matter how the story ends. The 70,000 never came back. There wasn't a second option for them. They didn't even do what David did. The innocent died along with the guilty. And so he said, my hand stayed. Look at your Bible in verse number 15. And God sent an angel unto Jerusalem to destroy it. And as he was destroying, the Lord beheld and he repented him of the evil and said to the angel that destroyed, it's enough. Stay now thy hand. And the angel of the Lord stood by the threshing floor. And here's this guy of Ornan, the Jebusite. And so David lifts up his eyes and the angel of the Lord in between the earth and the heaven and having drawn the sword with his hand stretched out over Jerusalem and David and the elders of Israel who were clothed in sackcloth fell on their faces. And David said unto God, Is it not I that commanded the people to be numbered? Even I it is that sinned and have done this evil. But as for these sheep, that shepherd's heart, but as for these sheep, what have they done? Let thy hand, I pray thee, O Lord my God, be upon me and my father's house, and not upon thy people, that they should be plagued. God heard David's prayer and was merciful. And he told David what David needed to do. Look at your Bible in verse number 18. Then the angel of the Lord commanded Gad to say to David that David should go up and set up an altar unto the Lord in the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. Now what the threshing floor was at this time is you remember they were harvesting. They had a, an economy that was mostly an agrarian economy that they had and so they would grow plants and like wheat and so they would thresh that wheat. And so Ornan had these threshing instruments and his job he, that he had there with his land is he grew wheat and then he threshed the wheat and then he would take the wheat and then he would sell it and some of it he would eat no doubt and some of it he may have sold to provide for his family as well. And so God said, okay, what I want you to do, he said, take a message down, angel, go to Gad, this guy that's got David's ear, tell him, go to Ornan and take his threshing floor there and set up an altar right in that spot, right there in that spot, and offer me an offering. And David went up in verse number 19. 
to say unto Gad, which he spake in the name of the Lord. And Ornan turned back and saw the angels, and his four sons with him hid themselves. Now Ornan was threshing wheat. Ornan's busy working. And as David came to Ornan, Ornan looked and saw David and went out to the threshing floor and bowed himself to David with his face to the ground. So he sees the king coming up. Then David said to Ornan, Grant me the place of this threshing floor that I may build an altar therein unto the Lord. And thou shalt grant it me for the full price that the plague may be stayed from the people. I want to buy your place, Ornan. Ornan in verse number 23 says, And Ornan said unto David, Watch this now. Take it to thee, and let my lord the king do that which is good in his eyes. Lo, I give thee the oxen also for the burnt offerings, and the threshing instruments for wood, and the wheat for the burnt offering, or the meat for the offering. And then look at those last words. I give it all. I want to talk to you tonight about complete surrender. David's coming up now. You know the story of what's happened. You know the angel of the Lord is coming. You know 70,000 people in Israel have fallen. God sends his angel down to Gad and tells Gad, uh, go tell David what I want you to do now is I want you to go to this guy's threshing floor and I want you to set up a place here to offer me an offering of burnt sacrifice. But we have to understand when we think about these things and when we think about the encounter with Ornan, in our minds it may not seem like anything that's big, anything that's, uh, mon uh, anything that's monumental, that's the word I was looking for, anything that's monumental, anything that was huge in this guy's life. But this was not an ordinary business transaction that was going on. You see, the land meant a lot to the people of Israel. If I can remind you in Genesis chapter number 12, when God goes to Abraham in chapter number 12, verse number 1, he says, Abraham, I'll get up and get out, and I want you to go to a land that I've prepared for you. And so Abraham gets up and he leaves Ur of the Chaldees and he takes his family and he goes out. And we see how that Israel at that point in time is really dealt with as a family. It was Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and the sons of Jacob that went out who eventually became the 12 tribes of Israel. And so we know in Genesis chapter number 1 when he's dealing with them, he's dealing with them as a family. In the book of Exodus we see that he begins to deal with Israel as a nation. They're down, you know, at the end of Genesis that uh, Joseph dies and Israel goes into 400 years of captivity down in the land of Egypt. And God begins to deal with Israel as a nation at this point. So there's a transition between Genesis and Exodus, between dealing with a family now and dealing with this nation. And as he goes down and he sends Moses to lead his children out, he's going to lead them out into a land that is flowing with milk and honey. That promise that God made to Abraham in Genesis chapter number 12 that he confirmed with Abraham in Genesis chapter number 15. 
And then we move on and we see how that in the how Israel then as they become this nation in the book of Exodus that as they move out into the book of Leviticus we see how that this nation is going to conduct themselves when they get to the land. The whole purpose of the book of Leviticus is he said what I'm going to do is I'm going to set before you some things that are clean and some things that are unclean and I'm going to show you how not to act like a slave anymore. You have been a slave down in the land of Egypt for 400 years. You have been down there serving the threefold enemy of the child of God. We have the land of Egypt as the type of the world. We have Pharaoh as the type of the devil. The taskmasters is the type of the flesh, the world flesh and the devil, the trifold enemy of the children of God. And he said, you've got to understand a new way of living when you get to this new land. And he says, this is how you're going to do it in the book of Leviticus. In the book of Numbers, the whole reason that when you're reading your Bible through in one year and you get to Numbers and you want to poke your eye with a pencil when you start reading all of the names and all the names, the whole reason that that's in the Bible is to show how the land is going to be distributed amongst all of the people and who gets what. And God dedicates almost an entire book for that. In the book of Deuteronomy, it's when he comes in and he makes this treaty with Israel about how they'll behave once they get over into that new land. And then we see in the book of Joshua, Joshua and them coming out to take and to conquer the land and to own that land. Now watch this. Land was very important. Promised to God and Abraham in Genesis chapter number 12. Conquered by Joshua in the book of Joshua. Handed down from parent to child, from parent to child through time. It wasn't something like this guy just had a farm and his family and it was important to him. The land tied him to his relationship with God. When David came in, it wasn't a small thing when he said, Hey, what I want you to do is I want you to give me your land. He goes, I'm going to buy it from you, but I want your land. It wasn't the fact of whether the land was expensive or not expensive. It was the fact that the land was irreplaceable because that land tied back to the promise that God had given to Israel. If I can just give a commercial, God's going to give all that land back to Israel too. He's going to honor that covenant that he made. And so as he hears what's going on, Ornan says in verse number 23, take it. You need to take it. Now, let me say this. The Bible is God's complete and connected thought toward man. Let me say that again. The Bible is God's complete and connected thought toward man. When we understand the Bible, we understand progressive revelation in Scripture. That is that God didn't tell us everything that he was going to tell us in Genesis chapter number 1. He told us throughout the canon of the 66 books of Scripture everything that he wanted us to know. And so God has connected all of these thoughts. The Bible is not a book of just good morals. There are good morals in the Bible, but it's not just for that. It's not something to teach us good manners. It can teach good manners, but it's not there for that purpose. Now watch this, I'm going to show you something. This story is not about the graciousness of Ornan. It's not how you should share your toys with somebody else. And you should share. It's not about how you should give money to good causes. I'm talking about out of the church, good causes. And and that's fine if you do that. But what it was is Ornan recognized something. And what he recognized was is the fact that the land wasn't really his. The land was God's. God was allowing Ornan 
to be on the land. He's the one who gave it to him. Now watch this. Ornan only had that land because God took it from the people that were there, the Canaanites, and gave it to Israel. God can choose what he wants to do with his land. Now let me bring it down to the pew for you just a second. God can decide what he gives to you and to me and what he takes from you and me. Listen, God's not interested in your bass boat. He's not interested in your tree stand. He's not interested in your browning BAR. He's not interested in your money. He's not interested in any of that stuff. God is interested in you. Once God has you like he had Ornan, he'll have the Grady White. He'll have the Browning B-A-R. He'll have your tithes and your offering. He'll have your time. He'll have your family. He'll have you in his will. When we recognize who God really is. Ornan wasn't great because of the decision Ornan made. Ornan was great because he served a great God. He recognized, hey, it's not of me. It's not by my might, not by, it's not by might nor by power. It's by my spirit, saith the Lord. It's God who gives to every man suddenly as he will. What we need to do is we need to be in a place to accept it. Now watch this because this may get painful in just a second. Now I'll, try, I'll try to not make it painful, but I may do that. Listen, Ornan said, look, take it. Look at your Bible back in verse number 23. Take it and let my king, let my Lord, the king, do that which is good in his eyes. Watch this. He said, Lo, I give the oxen. You know what he was saying? He said, What I'm going to do, he said, Take the land. You can have my past. A bunch of us is still holding on to our past. He said, Take the land. That's my past. He said, what you can do is you can take the oxen for the burnt offering. You can take the wheat for the meat offering. He said, you know what? Everything I've got that I've harvested this year, I'll give you my present. And he said, and if that's not enough, what you can do is you can take the threshing instruments for wood. That's what he was going to have for the following season to be able to get his crop in and to do something with it. He said, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you my future. That's why he can step back and he says, I Give it all. As long as it's in the power of Ornan to hold all of that stuff, the wrath of God was still looming. Listen, David had a warning. He said, don't do it. He did it anyway. Punishment came. God stays his hand and he says, go and offer up there an offering. Ornan still had the choice of whether he was going to be part of the blessing of God or if he was going to keep back what he was trying to protect. Young people, what are you trying to protect? Mom and dad, how long are you going to continue to play games with Christianity? Mama and Papa, how long are you going to just keep putting off this thing. We well, don't understand. You know, I go to church and I do this and I do. Listen, what is it that you're keeping back from God? The call of God on a young man's life, a call of God on a young lady's wife, life. 
You'll never be able to fulfill God's perfect will for your life, and neither will I if we hold anything back. We have to completely turn it loose. The only way, listen, there's not a partial surrender in the Christian life. There's not a halfway surrender. There's not a three-quarter surrender. There's only unconditional surrender. God, you're the Lord, and I'm your servant. What do you want? Listen, that's not an easy thing. That's a scary thing. Why? Because you hold, we hold on a lot of times to what our dreams are and our plans are. And it's a great day in our Christian life when we figure out that God's will for our life may be different than what my will is for my life. God's plan for you may be different than what your plans are. And I'm not saying that you have to be out in gross sin or anything else. It's just the unwillingness to surrender every area. Brother Allen used to say this, God doesn't want the best room in your house, he wants the whole house. What's that little thing you keep locked up, that little rebellion that you won't turn loose of? What is it that you're afraid of? What is it that you're afraid of turning loose? Let me end with an illustration if I can. You remember in Matthew chapter number 14, the Lord Jesus Christ is out there and he's going to feed the 5,000. He's out there and he teaches all day and at the end of the day the people are hungry. And the disciples come to him and say, Lord, you need to let these people go saying go find something to eat. And so they find this little boy is there. And the little boy, he was there, and he had five loaves and two little fishes. You remember that story? He had something packed in his, in his dinner bucket. If I can translate that for you Yankees, that's a lunchbox. But he had, it, he had it in his dinner bucket that he took with him. Now watch this. Watch this now. That little boy owned that dinner bucket. He owned the two. He didn't steal it. He owned the two fish, and he owned the five loaves. He could have fed himself. He could have just popped out, threw out the checkered blanket there, the checkered tablecloth, and sat there cross-legged and said, I'm going to eat me a sardine and, and, and bread sandwich right here on the side of the road while I listen to the Lord teach. And people might even look at him and say, dude, you're smart. Or your mama really cared for you and packed you a dinner bucket like, like they didn't pack mine, but maybe you packed your own lunch or maybe mama did. You sure are smart. And people could have walked by and said, man, you're something. You're really something. The little boy could have looked at three or four people around him and said, here, each one of you guys take a piece. Here's you a little bit of bread. Here's you a fish eyeball or whatever kind of fish he had. You can eat this. Now watch this. And he could have been a hero to a few people. He could have had the praise and the applause of man. And they'd have been like, you are so great. You're so gracious. Man, that is so great that you're doing this. But you know what he did? Listen to this. He took the bread and he took the fish and he didn't give it to the people. Although the people eventually wound up with it. He gave it to the Lord, and the Lord blessed it, and he broke it, and he multiplied it 
And he fed everybody. As long as you keep your life hemmed up, as long as you say, hey, I want to be looked at as smart, or hey, I want to be regarded as the hero. No, what we got to do is we got to give it to the Lord so that he and he alone gets the glory, that he and he alone gets the praise from whatever it is that our life can bring. We turn loose of our life and we give it over to the Lord then he can break it and not just satisfy three or four, but satisfy four or five thousand. The question is, for me, and the question is for you, are you going to hold on to what is rightfully yours? It's been given to you, but it's only been lent to you. Or are you going to turn your life fully over to Christ and say it's Christ alone that I give my life. Lord, thank you for this day and thank you again for letting us be in church tonight. I pray that you would add your blessing to the preaching and the hearing of your word. And Lord, we pray for this time of invitation together as the pastor's coming. I pray that you would touch hearts, Lord. I pray that you would Help to overcome the fear. Give grace. Lord, it's a scary thing when a young man or a young lady says, I'm going to step out and I'm just going to trust you, God, whatever it is, whether it's my job, whether it's my relationships, whether it's my family, God, whatever it is, I'm giving it all to you.